Well, I invite you to turn with me in God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word to Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Luke 8, 40. We're continuing on with, uh, with Luke's account of the life of Jesus Christ. And here we have two accounts, two different separate people. Uh, but their stories are entwined, not just in Luke's gospel, but in Matthew and Mark as well. But Luke 8:40, we'll be reading down to verse 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went... The people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on positions, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Well, may God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today. Well, imagine if Jairus here and his daughter and this woman with the, the discharge of blood went to a modern-day hospital. What do you think would happen if the doctors spent their time interviewing this lady uh, who's had this malady for 12 years instead of rushing to the aid of this dying little girl? Well, no doubt in our litigious society, the doctor would be sued for malpractice and probably lose his medical license. And the hospital would certainly be held liable for damages. Yet we see in this account before us that Jesus does not commit malpractice because he has the power to heal the woman and raise the little girl from the dead. But perhaps today you feel that the Lord has committed malpractice in his handling of your problems. Maybe you have an urgent need like Jairus and you have cried out to the Lord. You're desperate for the Lord to intervene immediately. 
yet nothing seems to be happening. Or maybe your problem is like this woman's problem. It's something that has been lingering for years, perhaps, and you see no way of, of escape through your own means. If only the Lord would intervene and relieve your burden. Yet it seems that he is silent. You've asked the Lord's help, and yet nothing is happening. It seems that God is delaying in an irrational and unconscionable manner. And you feel like Jesus is committing malpractice in your life. Well, if you don't feel that way today, then you probably have in the past, or you probably will. Because God's sense of timing is rarely the same as ours. To all of us who are impatient with God, who are enduring a delay in answered prayer, Jesus says what he said to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. Now the question I want to address today is this. When Jesus says that to us, do not fear, only believe, how do you know he's trustworthy? How do you believe instead of fear? Well, I believe in order to believe and not to succumb to fear, you must see three things. That Jesus is wise enough to know your most pressing need. He knows what's in your best interest because of his wisdom. Two, that he's loving enough and has your best interests at heart. And third, that he's powerful enough to do something about, about your problem in your best interest. Well, the wisdom of Jesus. We're going to look at the wisdom of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the power of Jesus exhibited in this situation. And think about it in our lives as well. And first we see that Jesus is wise enough to know what is in your best interest. Well, Jesus is wise enough because he, he knows what you don't know. Right? Now, movies that end with a thrilling plot twist that you didn't see coming, don't you love those kinds of movies uh, but they're really enjoyable to watch once. Because once you know the ending of the movie, you, you go back and watch it, well, you know what's going to happen. It's kind of anticlimactic at that point. You don't really enjoy those kinds of films the second time, unless it's been years and you've kind of forgotten the ending. Then you can enjoy it again. Well, if this account were a movie, we might cry the first time, uh, we saw it when, when the messengers from the house come and tell Jairus this, the very sad news. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. There's this sense there that, that all is lost and Jesus has wasted all this precious time dealing with this lady with this, uh, with this problem that's gone on for 12 years. It's not life-threatening. Why didn't Jesus rush and say, I'll come back to you later? And then we get this bad news and it's, that's, uh, that's so sad. Perhaps our sorrow would even turn to anger at the injustice of it all. But then your sadness would turn to joy as Jesus goes to the house and he speaks life into this little girl with no more than the simple words, Arise, little girl. And that's a great ending. A joyful ending. But if you saw the scene again, the, the, the whole thing again, the second time, you wouldn't be sad when the messengers arrive and, and share the sad news because you know, oh, I know how this turns out. And I'm not sad because I know that Jesus is going to 
go and save the day. You'd be anticipating the ending and you'd be saying to your friends, maybe they saw it the first time and you'd ruin it for them saying, wait, see what Jesus is about to do. This is really neat. This is cool. See, the sad part becomes immaterial when you know the ending. The same thing applies to your life. Jesus knows things that you do not. And particularly, he knows the end of your story. And he knows how he's going to get you there to the end of your story. So, because he knows these things, you can trust him. And you don't have to be afraid or fear. But keep coming to him and keep trusting him and knowing that he's wise. You're his child. If you're his child, he's got a wonderful plan that he's executing in your life. And the road has lots of twists and turns and you wonder if you're going in the right direction sometimes. But the Lord is guiding and directing your path. All things work to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he's wise. He knows what you don't know. He knows the ending, especially. But he's wise enough, he's wise enough to know what you need most. He knows better than you do what you need. Now, when you read this story the second time, you see that Jesus really does take care of the most pressing need which is the lady's need at this moment. When he's faced with the choice of seeking out this woman over the little girl, we think, we think he should choose the little girl. She's dying. It's urgent. That's, that's the pressing need here. But Jesus knows that he can raise the little girl from the dead, and that changes the priority. The woman becomes the priority at that point, and Jesus wants to give her more than what she's after, actually. He has more for her. Yes, she could have gone, touched him, and snuck away healed. But Jesus stops her because he wants more for her than she wants even for herself. If you go back to Leviticus, in Leviticus 15, it, it talks about her problem. She had uh, this discharge of blood. Uh, a, a menstrual problem that was just ongoing. And in those days, in, in that era of, of the Bible, uh, this is the law concerning that. If a woman, Luke, this is Leviticus 15, 25 through 27, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the di discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Twelve years she was unclean. Now this malady, this uncleanness, would have excluded her from worship. It would have alienated from her husband if she had one or prevented her from getting married. She would make everyone in her path unclean. 
She violated all kinds of rules by pressing into that crowd and by touching Jesus. She was spreading the uncleanness. But it was a risk that she was willing to take because of her desperation. And she just wanted to slip in there, touch Jesus, and get out unnoticed. But you see, her faith was just a superstitious faith at that point. She thinks that Jesus is like a rabbit's foot that she can touch for good luck or for healing in her case. But Jesus has bigger plans for her than that. And that's why he stops and he asks, who touched me? What a question to ask in a crowd of people pressing in against him. Who hadn't touched him would be a more apt question. But the woman is found out and she comes trembling. She's trembling because she knows that she touched Jesus when she was unclean and and probably many others in the crowd as she tried to get near Jesus. But she confesses it all before the crowd and look at Jesus' response to her in verse 48. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Literally saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yeah, she got the healing that she wanted, but she also got a public pronouncement of her cleanness. She could be welcomed. Everybody knew it now. Everybody knew that she had been had been healed and cleansed and that Jesus welcomed her in. She didn't want to be exposed, but by Jesus drawing attention to her, he actually blessed her abundantly beyond what she was asking. That was what Jesus, in all his wisdom, saw as important at the time. Yeah, that's not what the lady wanted, but Jesus had so much more If she got what she wanted, she would have been shorted something that Jesus wanted to give her. So when we come to Jesus with our problems and maybe he's not answering the way we want, trust Jesus. In his wisdom, he knows exactly what you need. And he's giving you exactly what you need. Jesus is wiser than you are. The delay is also what is best for Jairus, actually. Yeah, he believes Jesus can heal his little girl, but the delay brings him to an even deeper faith because he has to overcome his fears and rely completely upon Jesus. No one but Jesus can raise the little girl from the dead. Yeah, there may be doctors that can heal an illness, but nobody can raise the dead except Jesus. Jesus knew what was best. The delay enabled him to capture the hearts of this woman and Jairus in a profound way that would not have happened otherwise. And it's true for us as well. Jesus is always interested in increasing our faith, making us closer to him, more united to him, more in communion with him. He wants that relationship with you to be close. And when you're going through a delay by the Lord, ask yourself, how can I trust him more in this situation? Then you'll be getting ever closer to his purposes for the delay. Well, I heard it said one time, Jesus gives us what we would, we would, would huh, sorry. Jesus gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. Jesus gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. He knows what we need most. And when we get upset at God because things are not going the way we think they should go, or we feel that he is not giving us 
what we need, what we're really saying is that we know better than God what we need. Let's just prideful and arrogant, putting ourselves in God's place. I need another way to think about it. Think of the things in your life you value the most. Some of those things are things you never would have chosen, given the choice. There are parts of your life for which you're profoundly thankful, but you would never have chosen them. The most valuable parts of your life are usually not the parts that come to you instantly, but rather the ones for which you had to wait So Jesus is wise. Trust him with your life. Jesus is also, secondly, loving enough to have your best interest at heart. First we see Jesus shows his love to people from different walks of life. There's there's, uh, people on kind of two, two different ends of the scale, especially religiously speaking. Jairus was, it tells us, a ruler of the synagogue. It's kind of like an elder in the church. He was uh, someone who was kind of an administrator for the synagogue. He would have made the uh, arrangements. Who was going to speak? What were the passages to be read? And so forth. So he was well respected, probably well off, a very moral person. But on the other hand, this woman, she was perpetually unclean. She couldn't worship at all because of her illness. No one could touch her or they would be unclean. And she was poor because she spent all her money on doctors trying to get a solution for her problem. And she has a poor faith, a very simple poor faith. Jairus has a more accurate faith, but Jesus reaches out to both of them to increase both of their faiths. Jesus reaches out to people from all walks of life with varying degrees of faith. He even reaches out to the unclean. The woman touches him, and he accepts her. He touches the dead body of the little girl. He touches her, he says. He takes her by the hand. It made you unclean to touch a dead body, but Jesus doesn't care. He reaches out, and he brings life to her. This is his love shining through. He reaches out to all of us with his love where we are right now. He doesn't ask us to make ourselves clean. He's the one that does that. He reaches out to make us clean. So Jesus is reaching out to all of us today. And the way that we respond to him is all important. You can trust him. Don't be afraid. Trust him. He loves you. Now, Jesus also reassures us with this word. Look at the things that Jesus says. Wonderful thing he says to the lady. He calls her daughter. This is the only person in the Bible that Jesus calls daughter. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is saying, I accept you, not just as a person, but in, really as a, as into my family. You're a daughter, a child of the Lord. And that's true of us as well. If you are united to Christ by faith, then you are adopted into his family. You are his daughter or his son. And he loves you. And because he loves you as, you, as a child, he knows what you need. He wants to give you what's best. And the reassuring words he gives to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. He's saying that to us today. Do you know how many times it says, do not fear, or fear not, or don't be afraid in the Bible? I don't either, but it's a lot. I tried to look it up, but it's too many to count. It's a very common command of Scripture. Don't be afraid, don't fear. He's always trying to 
reassure us. And that's why he's given us this account before us. To reassure us that we can trust him. He loves us. And he says to the little girl, child, arise. He speaks to her like a parent would. Like, like, like you would go in to wake up your 12-year-old daughter. Wake up. It's time to go to school or whatever. He cares for her needs. Give her something to eat. Did Jesus care for the little girl? We're tempted to think that Jesus was ignoring her, her urgent need. But that's not true. He comes to her and he speaks to her tenderly, speaks life to her, and takes care of her. And he's doing the same for us. Just as he said, Lazarus, come forth. Child, arise. He's going to come for us one day. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the end. That's where the Lord is taking us out of his great love for us so we can trust him with our lives. Jesus gives us his life-giving word and he gives this account before us today just to encourage us to trust him. He loves us. Then finally, and briefly, Jesus has power to accomplish what is in your best interest. Now when he says, child arise, he speaks to her, like I said, just as if he were her father. He can raise the dead and he will raise us up one day. And if Jesus has you by the hand, death is nothing but a good night's sleep. You'll live with him forever. He's got that kind of power at his disposal and he showed it by rising from the grave for our justification so that we could be right with God. See, the Father let go of Jesus' hand so he would never let go of ours. Jesus had his prayer go unanswered on the cross or in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Father, let this cup pass from me. But he drank that cup for us so that we would never be forsaken. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can trust him. I want to encourage you all today. Jesus is wise. The Lord is loving. He knows what you need in his wisdom and his love. He knows what's best for you. And he's got the power to deliver it to you, to get you to the desired place that he has for you. Trust the process. Trust the journey that he has you on the twists and the turns. Walk with him closely. Put your trust in him and don't be afraid. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you with our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done to ensure that we can become your children. And Lord, often we confess that we may accuse you of being an unloving parent by not giving us what we want like spoiled children. Lord, help us to trust you and know that you are our loving Heavenly Father who has gone to the greatest of lengths to save us so that we might be with you forever. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be patient in the times that we are going through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us to fear no evil, 
for you are with us, even there. Lord, thank you that you are with us no matter where we are. Even in death, you are with us before your children. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for your grace and mercy towards us. I pray that if anybody doesn't know you today, Lord, that they would cry out to you. That they would put their trust in you. Put, your, put their life in your hands. Help us to do that daily. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.